Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is your weekly rundown for the latest top tech news from around the world delivered every Wednesday. On my show, you'll find a mix of the latest tech news from around the world, including emerging tech, privacy, cybersecurity, and more, including interviews with experts, innovators, and everyday tech tips to level up your life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening and welcome to Coffee and Code. President Biden's recent decision to punish Russia for the SolarWinds hack broke with years of U.S. foreign policy that tolerated cyber espionage. President Biden's decision this week to punish Russia for the SolarWinds hack broke with years of U.S. foreign policy that has tolerated cyber espionage as an acceptable form of 21st century spycraft, analysts and former officials said. In announcing a suite of punitive measures against Moscow, including financial sanctions and diplomatic expulsions, the White House made clear its actions were in response to the full scope of Russia's harmful foreign activities. The administration specifically highlighted what it said was Russia's year-long meddling in U.S. elections. It also said U.S. intelligence had, quote, high confidence that Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service, the SVR, was behind last year's SolarWinds hack, which compromised at least nine federal agencies and about 100 private sector organizations. The administration said both campaigns were unacceptable and demanding of a forceful response. The U.S. has punished Russia for election interference in the past, notably after its multi-pronged operations during the 2016 election. But previous administrations typically refrained from retaliating for cyber intrusions they classified as political espionage, no matter how broad or successful, in part because the U.S. and its allies regularly engage in similar conduct, current and former officials said. Both the Obama and Trump administrations sought to forge international agreement that cyber attacks that stole intellectual property, damaged computer systems, or interfered in elections were out of bounds, while generally accepting espionage as fair play. In 2015, for example, after the U.S. learned the Chinese had ransacked the federal government's personnel files and made off with sensitive records on more than 20 million Americans, James Clapper, then the Director of National Intelligence in the Obama administration, paid begrudging respect. Quote, you have to kind of salute the Chinese for what they did, end quote. Mr. Clapper said that at the time. If we had the opportunity to do that, I don't think we'd hesitate for a minute, end quote. Western intelligence operations have also launched large cyber espionage operations against foreign private sectors, as the SolarWinds hack did, said Thomas Ridd, 
an expert on cyber Russian operatives, and a professor at Johns Hopkins University. Some U.S. officials advise the Biden administration not to justify sanctions specifically on the SolarWinds operation as that could move open the U.S. to foreign censure for its own activities. The hard question, therefore, is this. How was SolarWinds different from high-end Five Eyes intelligence operations? Administration officials deemed the SolarWinds hack beyond the boundaries of acceptable cyber operations because of its scope and scale. A senior administration official said Thursday the retaliation was additionally justified because the burden of repairing the damage largely fell on private companies and because Russia had shown in the past it can turn an espionage operation into something more destructive. The speed which with an actor can move from espionage to degrading or disrupting a network is at the blink of an eye, and a defender cannot move at that speed, the official said. And given the history of Russia's malicious activity in cyberspace and the reckless behavior in cyberspace, that was a key concern, end quote. Many Democrats, including Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York, as well as Republicans, praised the actions Mr. Biden took Thursday and urged him to be even more forceful. Others, however, were less receptive. Representative Jim Langevin, a leading cybersecurity voice in Congress who generally praised Mr. Biden's action against Russia, said the sanctions slapped on the SVR for the SolarWinds hack needed more explanation. Quote, The SolarWinds incident that the administration today attributed to the SVR has had all the trappings of traditional espionage that, while unfortunate, has not historically been outside the bounds of responsible state behavior, Mr. Lingovan said. Mr. Biden and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken should explain the contours of their new policy, end quote. Chris Painter, a top cybersecurity official at the State Department during the Obama administration, said that the administration's argument was unpersuasive. Quote, most intrusions can be used for destructive ends. Even if the attack was purely espionage, though, the U.S. is still within its right to react, not to enforce a global norm, but to demonstrate displeasure, end quote. In an analysis for the national security blog Lawfare, Bobby Chesney, a national security law professor at the University of Texas, said that the Biden administration had not declared all cyber espionage as off-limits. Rather, in announcing its response to Russia, the administration outlined a vague matrix of conditions that, if met, could evaluate certain, quote, malicious cyber activities end quote, to a level that warranted retaliation, he wrote. Is it clear that there is an answer to the question of what line solar winds crossed? We shall see. <laughs> I will keep you updated on this story as I've been following the solar winds hack since it happened last year.
Facebook expands a tool to let users export posts and notes to Blogger, Google Docs, and WordPress, and calls for new guidelines on data flows between services. Facebook is renewing its calls for Congress to create guidelines about how online services should make users' data available to transfer to other platforms as it expands its own feature to do just that. Facebook announced Monday it's expanding a tool that allows users to transfer their data to other services. Facebook will now enable users to transfer a copy of their posts and notes to Blogger, Google Docs, and WordPress. The company already has a way for users to transfer their photos and videos to other services as well. Lawmakers have advocated for so-called data portability functions as a way to level the playing field for newer entrants into the tech industry. Facebook has attracted antitrust scrutiny and is currently facing legal challenges from the Federal Trade Commission and a broad coalition of states for allegedly maintaining monopoly power illegally. Some lawmakers believe that if users could more easily take their data off Facebook's services, it could incentivize them to leave. This would then open a path for new innovators to grow in the social media space. Facebook itself has advocated for data portability laws, and it is suing Monday's launch correction, using Monday's launch to illustrate how firmer guidelines around the process could enable a greater and more secure flow of data between services. For example, when users transfer their posts and notes through the new feature, those transfers will not include comments from Facebook friends or posts that friends left on a user's page. That is because of the legal ambiguity that exists around who owns that data, especially in the absence of a federal digital privacy law. Facebook already got into trouble for how it granted a third-party developer access to friends' user data without their explicit permission during the infamous Cambridge Analytica scandal. In a white paper published in 2019, Facebook raised questions about whether a platform's, quote, social graph or their network of friends a user maintains on the platform should be portable to other services. While the idea of portability aims for users to take ownership over their data and enable greater competition, it can run into privacy concerns when it's unclear who owns the data or has opted into the transfer. There's also uncertainty around which services should be responsible if data is compromised in the midst of a transfer. Facebook believes this is another place where Congress could clear up confusion. Congress could also set standards for the types of data that services should make available for transfer. They could also set guardrails to prevent certain types of data from being required to be transferred. Some data that Facebook collects is done passively or includes inferences the service makes about users, including to protect the integrity of the service. For example, Facebook public policy manager Bijan Madani said the company will make inferences based on account activity to determine if they are run by bots. He suggested it may 
benefit users to keep that data out of portability requests in order to maintain the integrity of that feature. Madani said Facebook plans to continue working on the tool and add destinations for users to transfer their data. He said consumers could look to the data types already available for download to get a sense for what could come next for the transfer tool. Through Facebook, the company had previously teamed up with other industry players to create an open source platform that can be used to transfer data between services. Madani said this is an area that requires government leadership to back up industry standards. Quote, the lack of potential partnership with the government there can leave folks feeling, well, okay, whatever we're doing here, when push comes to shove, may not have the actual force of law when actual litigation is on the table. Self-regulation is nice, but self-regulation without a government regulation backstop is less nice. I will be linking this article in the show notes if you want to read more about it. Personally, I find this incredibly interesting. Um, I've downloaded my user data before from Facebook and kind of perused it. I highly recommend you do the same if you're just interested in, in what that looks like. Um, they did reference it here. It's generally easy to get a download of your, your Facebook data if you go in deep into your settings. Um, but I will keep you updated on the latest news on this topic. In a letter to Congress, Apple says it has approved Parler's return to the App Store following moderation and improvements by Parler. Apple has approved Parler's return to the iOS App Store following improvements the social media company made to better detect and moderate hate speech and incitement, according to a letter from the iPhone maker sent to Congress on Monday. The decision clears the way for Parler, an app popular with conservatives, including some members of the far right, to be downloaded once again on Apple devices. The letter, addressed to Senator Mike Lee and Representative Ken Buck and obtained by CNN, explained that since the app was removed from Apple's platform in January for violations of its policies, Parler has proposed updates to its app and the app's content moderation practices, end quote. On April 14th, Apple's app review team told Parler that its proposed changes were sufficient. The letter continued, now all Parler needs is to do a flip the switch. Quote, Apple anticipates that updated Parler app will become available immediately upon Parler releasing it, end quote. Apple declined to comment, but Parler didn't immediately respond to a request for comment either. Parler, an alternative to Facebook and Twitter that bills itself as a haven for free speech, was removed from major tech platforms in early January following the U.S. Capitol riots of January 6th. Parler was kicked off Apple and Google's app stores, as well as Amazon Web Services, which had been hosting the company's product. All three tech giants cited the presence of violent speech on Parler as a reason for removal. Parler later said that other vendors also cut ties with the company, effectively shutting the service down and making it inaccessible on the web. For several weeks, 
visitors to Parler's website were greeted by a static page instead of a functioning social networking app. The app came back online on February 14th, but not before Parler's CEO was terminated by its board. It took another two months for Apple to give its approval restoring Parler to its app store. In the meantime, Parler is waging a legal battle against Amazon, alleging in part that big tech companies colluded to restrict Parler's access to the market. In court filings and elsewhere, Parler has said that it had been developing an artificial intelligence-based content moderation system when the larger platform's crackdown took place. The tech companies have rejected Parler's accusations of anti-competitive behavior. In Monday's letter, Apple said its decision to remove Parler from its app store was, quote, an independent decision, and that Apple did not coordinate or otherwise consult with Google or Amazon with respect to that decision, end quote. I will be linking this article in the show notes if you would like to read more about it. It's time for your weekly tech tip. This tech tip is centered around getting yourself organized with your emails. Email inboxes can be crazy, as we all know. And I personally have used the Apple native mail application for years and I'm a power user and sometimes that just doesn't fit all my needs. So recently I started using an app called Smart Spark Mail uh, by Reddle. So it's Spark Mail email by Reddle. If you look that up in the app store, it is the blue icon with the like paper airplane looking icon thing. Anyways, I've been using this for a couple of weeks now and I really enjoy it. I have it downloaded on my phone, my iPhone, my iPad, and my Mac, and my watch as well. It's a really seamless integration and I love how it helps organize my email because across all the things that I do, <laughs> it's I get a lot. There's a lot of incoming. So um, the more organized that is for me, the better. And Spark does just that. So it organizes my inbox very strategically by showing me only the important stuff at the very top, i.e. the emails from actual people and not newsletters and uh, marketing emails. So if you are feeling overwhelmed by your inbox lately, consider giving Spark Mail by Reddle a try. I'm a huge fan. Um, definitely look at the company as well. I did a little deep dive and um, kind of saw what the company was about. And I'm really impressed. They really truly take into consideration every aspect of email and how to make it more efficient. So it's got 4.7 out of 5 ratings on the App Store out of 55,381 ratings. Honestly, that's pretty good data for for an app that has that many ratings. So um, let the data speak for itself and then try it out if you're looking for a new way to optimize your emails and um, be more of a power user than Spark Mail may be for you. If you're a Spark Mail user already and you are using this, I want to hear from you. Drop me a little voice memo. I'd love to hear your experience. And who knows, maybe I'll share this, share your voice recording on the next episode. Would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed today's episode of Coffee and Code, head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave a rate and review. 
While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live every Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Coffee and Code, and I'll see you next week.